And please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1. Uh, we're back in our series. It's been a couple of weeks now since we've been in First Thessalonians and um, we're still just kind of getting rolling on this evening series uh, through the book. And this evening we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. We have in fact already looked at verses 9 and 10 and then verses 1 through 3 and 4. So we've, we've looked at everything not quite in, in a, a regular order. And the title of the sermon is The Power of Testimony. The phrase, actions speak louder than words. A phrase that was familiar to me, particularly growing up. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Even the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. All of these statements carry a common idea. And that idea is that the things we do are important. Oftentimes, the things we do are much more powerful in the eyes of those around us even than the things which we say. There are a lot of talkers out there, aren't there? A lot of people who say things. A person sits on the couch eating potato chips saying that they'll get a job. Well, that's a sayer, but will he ever actually get up and get a job? A person sits around and complains about the political system. Well, there's a sayer, but are they ever going to actually get involved and do something about the system? This evening, I would like to take a few moments for us to remember the power of our actions. In our circles, we spend quite a bit of time encouraging one another to speak in regard to our faith. We are blessed to live in a country where we have the freedom to knock on doors, to hand out tracts, to engage our family, to engage our neighbors with relatively little fear of reprisal. Well, let's face it. There are far more people who come in contact with our actions than people that come in contact with our words. Neighbors, perhaps, that aren't interested in a spiritual conversation but can't avoid seeing how your family interacts with one another in the backyard. Family members that want nothing to do with your Bible talk but will still see the choices that you make and the directions that you'll take. Now, please bear in mind, I'm not discouraging you from speaking this evening. It's just not the angle we're going at. As we look at what Paul is, is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5-8, through 8, what we'll see is he's speaking about a testimony that a church had, far more than he's speaking about the verbal testimony of their lips. On the heels of this morning's message, a message which encouraged us to clothe ourselves in deep and in genuine humility, compelled by our love for God, that would then compel us to obedience and unto virtue. This evening we're going to consider the external effects, if you will, of living that life of obedience and that life of virtue. And the effect that this kind of a lifestyle, a lifestyle that we would say good conversation or a good testimony has upon the world around us. So you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, please take a look with me beginning in verse 5. 
Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in First Thessalonians, so let's remember the context within which we speak. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, a church that operated in a city of Macedonia, and it was extremely violent against the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was extremely hostile to the message of the gospel. In fact, it was so hostile to the message, if you recall the account in the book of Acts, that Paul and Silas and Timothy were literally run out of the city and had to run to Berea in order to save themselves a great deal of pain and anguish. And not only did they run to Berea, but then the, the hostile Jews in Thessalonica chased them to Berea and ran them out of Berea as well. But while Paul and his companions were there, the impact of the gospel had been both genuine and strong. Paul recounted in verse 3 the results of their salvation. If you recall that message, the fruit of the gospel. A work of faith that came about as a, as a evidence of their belief as they turned to God from idols. A labor of love as they dedicated themselves to serving the true and the living God. And then their patience of hope as they faithfully and obediently awaited the sure return of Jesus Christ. These were the fruit of their salvation which gave Paul his most immediate confirmation of what he calls in verse 4 their election of God. That they did in fact receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one in this room was here for that message on, the, on election, but of course the messages are online if you'd like to go back and listen to that. Now as Paul continues in verse 5, he thinks back upon the time when the church first received the gospel. When they received the gospel, he says, they didn't just receive it in word, but they also received it in testimony. Look with me again in verse 5. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Paul did not just come to them preaching the gospel. He came to them demonstrating the gospel. And this perhaps is a little bit familiar to you as I was studying through it. Uh, it became very, it was very familiar to me because we talked about a similar thing at the beginning of our Corinthian series, which we just finished a couple of weeks ago. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to the Corinthian church, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul told them that he didn't come to them with fair words or enticing speeches because he didn't want the church to buy into his words. He wanted the church to buy into, if you will, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew as he had been in Macedonia for some time, starting with Philippi and then going to Thessalonica and then to Berea and then to Athens and now to Corinth, at that point in Corinth, he knew that these churches were very 
that the people in these regions were very intellectual. They had grown up on the teachings of men like Plato and Aristotle. Uh, there was that learn idea of learning for learning's sake. There was a tremendous amount of Greek philosophy that was floating around, even though it was now a, a Roman province. And so he knew that he couldn't approach these people simply with wonderful and enticing words or else they would buy into him instead of buying into the gospel. And so he says he didn't come with enticing words. He came in a demonstration of power. Paul was not in the business of selling himself, nor was he in the business of peddling a perspective. Paul was in the business of declaring truth. And he didn't want himself to get in the way of the truth of God's Word being seen for what it is and being accepted for what it is. Such was also the case in Thessalonica. And in fact, we would say it was the case first in Thessalonica as Paul visited Corinth after visiting the church of Thessalonica. Paul didn't want the people to buy into his words, nor was he interested in just words. He wanted these people to see the truth of the message. They would certainly hear it with their ears as Paul proclaimed it, but then he wanted it to be validated in their hearts through his life. Now, we'll talk more about the manner of his approach as we get into 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul will spend quite a bit more time speaking of the manner in which he approached these people. But for this evening, we reference the method that Paul used to approach the gospel of Jesus Christ in order that you can see how this idea of one's testimony works. See, Paul lived out a proper testimony among the Thessalonians. This testimony confirmed in his body what he claimed with his mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the gospel is a message of redemption and forgiveness and salvation, and that all who receive the gospel of Jesus Christ will also receive these spiritual blessings, redemption, forgiveness, salvation. Paul's life and actions formed the basis by which he confirmed his words, words which perhaps may have fallen on deaf ears outside of him confirming it with his manner of living. And so Paul says in verse 6 that the church became a follower of him, of Silas, of Timotheus. He says, ye became followers of us. And, he says, of the Lord. And notice that Paul says, you became a follower of us. That word followers there is a word that in the originals, mimetes, literally means to imitate. It's the word that, uh, by which we derive our English word mimic. And it has the idea of imitation. The idea that you have seen the example of another and you have assimilated that example into your own lives and you are living in some manner or form as an imitation of them. And then I mentioned, and it's worth noting, that Paul specifically mentions the fact that they didn't just follow the Lord, but they did in fact become a follower of his testimony. They learned what it meant to be a servant of God by the example that Paul and his comrades set. And they learned how to serve the Lord through Paul's example as well. And this was not the only time that Paul would encourage a church to follow him. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Two examples, both in 1 Corinthians, where Paul calls upon the believers of the church to follow his lead, to follow his example. So it's not that Paul was saying, I don't want you to follow my example. That's not what he was saying when he said that he didn't come with enticing words. But what he said, what the implication is, I want to be a good testimony. I want my testimony to confirm, however, the truth. I don't want you to become a, a Paul, a disciple of Paul, as much as I want you to use my example to become a disciple of Christ, is what he was saying. He would say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an and sample. He said, look at how I live my life because I am confident that I'm living it for the Lord and look at others who live the way I live. Look at others whose example is similar to my own. Mark them because those are the kind of people you want to follow. He wasn't saying, I'm starting my religion of Paul. He was saying, I'm confident that I'm following Christ so you can be confident in following me. And that is the nature of what it means to have a right testimony before men. That you are confident enough in your relationship with Christ that you can encourage others to follow you. And that's what we need to get in our Christian life. Where you can be confident enough that if a young believer came into this room and was looking for someone to follow, in order to get to Christ, not simply for the sake of following, but they were looking for what it means to serve the Lord, you could say, follow me. Follow me. We all need leaders. We all need someone that we can follow into godliness. Sometimes those leaders stand before us in flesh and blood. Sometimes those leaders are only reflected in writings. I tell you, some of the men that I follow the closest, my greatest mentors are dead men. They're men that I've read. I read them again, over and over again, and I learn from them. They're my mentors. Sometimes, those leaders that we follow aren't even reflected in their own writings. They're reflected in the writings of others about them. Missionary biographies. People who knew missionaries and wrote about them. But in this Christian life, we all have people that we look to as an example of what it means to serve the Lord properly. And this is not a bad thing. You should have someone that is your mentor. You should be following someone, not for the sake of following them, but following them unto Christ. An example of godliness that you can look up to. Now, this is not to say that you blindly follow anyone into any action but rather that you find in them a worthy example of biblical principles and seek to use their testimony, the testimony of their own victories to encourage yourself and to motivate you to walk closer to the Lord. And this is a healthy thing. Not just to have, but it's a right thing to be. And walking closer to the Lord is the end all of any Christian testimony. It's why we have a testimony, to encourage others to walk closer to the Lord. It's why we do the things we do. We're walking, we desire to walk closer to the Lord. If our manner of living is going to lead others anywhere, let it lead them to the Lord. 
If our testimony is going to have any impact, let it impact people to be more like Christ. To become an imitator, a follower of Christ. And this was the case in every conceivable way in the church of Thessalonica. The believers received the word that Paul preached. The believers saw how the lifestyle of Paul confirmed his message. But then they saw how Paul was afflicted for his message, was afflicted for his stand, and how he maintained in the midst of his affliction joy, in the midst of his suffering, a joy of the Lord. They saw him get run out of the city for fear of his life. And they realized through Paul's example what it meant to be a Christian in the midst of affliction. And so they received the Word of God with gladness in the same manner that Paul preached it. In much affliction and joy with the, Holy, with, with the joy of the Holy Ghost. And this is the point of our testimony. To become a godly, consistent example of the truth claims of the Gospel regardless of the circumstances that arise. Can we do that? Can we be that? A godly, consistent example of the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of the circumstances that arise. That should be our aim where we're trying to be. And what did this testimony work in the lives of them that saw it? The testimony of the Thessalonian believers. Well, what it worked was resemblance. Just as Paul had been a good example to the church, as the church lived out his example, they became a good example to all the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. So that Paul's teaching touched regions of the country that his feet had never touched. Look what it says in verse 7. So you were in samples or examples or the idea of a stamp or a resemblance and samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. That word there, and samples, examples, it's the word tupos. It's the word that was actually used to speak of the image on a coin. A likeness of the original. The image that is on a coin, and I don't, I don't have coins, I'm, I don't carry change, but if I were to pull out a coin, or even to pull out a dollar bill, I don't have any of those either, um, if I were to pull out a dollar bill, you'd find a, a person on it. You'd find a likeness of a president, a former president. That would be his stamp, his image, a resemblance of him. Paul says, you, church, became a resemblance of me. People could look at you and see me and then see Christ. Because as you looked at me, you saw Christ. As they look at you, they see me, and they, therefore they see Christ. And this is the, are you beginning to see what, what it means to have a testimony? What it means to be a testimony? Paul had been a good example to the church, and the church lived out this example, and it touched others' lives. Your testimony, call it your reputation if you will, has the ability to reach the ears of people that will absolutely never hear your voice. George Mueller is a man whose testimony of prayer and faith preaches to every generation of Christians after his death even. Jim Elliot is a man whose testimony of yieldedness 
echoes through the corridors of our hearts and compels us unto the same yieldedness today. Men in years gone by, men who maybe never got to preach a sermon in the United States, never, like George Mueller, men who never, perhaps, had the opportunity to touch certain areas of Christendom, and yet, years after their, birth, their death, their testimony is resounding now farther than they ever could have imagined. The Thessalonian church bore the suffering of martyrdom for the gospel of Jesus Christ with such joy. It was a joy that proclaimed to the whole world the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that Paul says in verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. Out from them sounded the word of the Lord. How could a church in Thessalonica in a day without internet or television or radio, sound forth the word of the Lord, not just to two full regions of Europe, but everywhere, Paul says. Their faith is spread abroad. The implication is that if Paul goes across the sea to Ephesus, you know what he'd hear? He'd hear people in the church of Ephesus saying, we need to be like those Thessalonians. That if he were to go several hundred miles east of there to Lystra and Derby, and he were to go sit in their services, they'd say, hey, we heard about those Thessalonians. Wow, what a testimony in the midst of martyrdom. They stood firm for the Lord. They've encouraged our hearts here in Lystra and Derby. If he were to go down to the church in Jerusalem, the implication is that Paul would probably hear something to say, hey, Paul, you've been to that church in Thessalonica, right? Wow, what a group of people. We heard about them. We heard about their joy of the Holy Ghost in the midst of their martyrdom. Praise God, that encouraged our hearts here in Jerusalem. That encouraged us to do what we need to do because we've heard of others who are doing it. They've been a testimony. They've been an example to us. Their testimony did what their voices could not. Their testimony did what Paul's voice could not. Their testimony of their faith toward God in the midst of suffering was so strong that Paul said he didn't even need to speak anything else. That he took the words right out of his mouth. You want to know what it means to be a believer? Do you not want to know what it means, what it means to serve the living God? The church of Thessalonica, that's what it means. That in the midst of pain and suffering and even death, they praised God, they served God, and they held, held fast to His Word. This is the power of a good testimony. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And isn't it true? At least from a biblical perspective, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is clear. Your manner of living can impact people in a way your words may never be able to. And this brings us to our points of needful application this evening. As we try to boil this teaching down to its applicable elements, I'd like us to consider four truths. Four truths as we apply. 
Truth number one, a proper testimony has the power to convince the unbeliever. Truth number two, a proper testimony has the power to encourage the believer. Point number three, your testimony, for good or ill, has the power to shape the lives of other believers. Point number four, testimony spread in a way words cannot. Let's consider these points in order. Thought number one, point number one, a proper testimony has the power to convince the unbeliever. As Paul stood before the Thessalonians desiring them to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, he showed them by his life what he preached with his mouth. Paul would do this in every city. In Lystra, in Derbe, in Philippi, in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Corinth, Paul took the utmost care to reflect the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every element of his lifestyle. Paul sacrificed some of his freedoms. We've read about it in Romans. We've read about it in 1 Corinthians. He sacrificed some of his freedoms in Christ for the sake of a proper testimony before those to whom he ministered. Paul was beaten. He was thrown into prison in order to be a proper testimony for the sake of those to whom he ministered. And each time, he successfully lived out in his actions what he claimed with his mouth. Each time, he successfully demonstrated in his actions what the Bible taught. He won hearts to the truth of his message. He validated in people's hearts what the Holy Spirit had already impressed upon them, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Men and women, if you're not living out a proper testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, don't expect your words to convince your family and friends. If you are not backing up what you say with what you do, don't expect what you say to matter to them. You've seen it, haven't you? Maybe not in your own life, but you've, you've talked to people. I've talked to people. I, I talked to a young lady. It was, it was um, almost two years ago now. I was witnessing out in Colorado when I was there visiting my family. Talked to a young lady and she says, yeah, my, my parents go to church, but they don't obey anything that the Bible has to say. So I gave church up. I don't want to hear what you have to say because I know Christian people. Yeah, you go to church. Yeah, you read your Bible, but you just don't do anything that's in it. A person who heard the truth, but the actions of those who claimed the truth dissuaded her from the truth. It can happen. We know it can happen. If you cannot reflect the gospel in your lives, what makes you think anybody who knows you will believe it to be true when you speak it? Convincing people to become saints while living like a devil is no different than a beer company preaching sobriety or Planned Parenthood preaching abstinence. The hypocrisy is so glaring it's just embarrassing. It's repulsive to many, in fact. And that is what Christians are who preach the gospel but don't have a good testimony among the world. They are repulsive. Do you want to do your part to convince loved ones of the truth of the gospel? Maybe you can speak up. Maybe you can deliver the message. Maybe they will listen. And when they let you, you ought to speak up. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. 
The Scriptures tell us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If they don't get it into their ears, it will never sink into their hearts. But, but, the very most important role that you have is to live your faith. To be the kind of man or woman who people look at and say, there's something different about them. Who people look at and say, you may not like what they had to say, but let me tell you, they back it up. That's the kind of believer we need to be. Point number one, a proper testimony has the power to convince the unbeliever. Point number two, a proper testimony has the power to encourage the believer. We all know people whose example have impacted the way we've lived our, our Christian lives, don't we? Maybe we've never thought about it that way, but we could probably write a very long list of people who something they said or something they did or a small perspective that they had really did change the way we looked at things, really did change the way that we have lived our Christian life. That man who reads his Bible so faithfully that you were encouraged to be more faithful. Maybe he never even said anything to you. Maybe it was as simple as you called him up on the phone one morning and he said, yep, I'm reading my Bible and I'm having a wonderful time with the Lord this morning. And it pricked your heart and it changed the way you lived your Christian life. Maybe it's that woman who you know, who you just plain know is praying all the time. Every time she talks to you, she says, hey, I was praying for you today. How's so-and-so doing? How's this prayer request? And you know because it's on the top of her mind that she has been praying and you were convicted that you needed to pray more and you started. Maybe it's that family which when you enter their house, their house just exudes a godliness, a peace, a joy, a comfort that has become a model for your own family. Maybe it's that preacher whose passion inspires you, that missionary whose yieldedness compelled you to want to lay your all at Jesus Christ's feet, that person who doesn't have much, but you know that even though they hardly have anything in their coffers, they still gave to that missionary when he came. They still gave to the need of that family. And you say, how in the world could they possibly have given? I didn't even know they had any money left, but they gave. These things are not some sort of exercise in manipulation. You are not weak or mindless or too impressionable for following the godly example of other pious individuals. This is what God wants from us. Iron sharpeneth iron the Scripture tells us. God wants you not just to follow others in their godly example, though. God wants you to lead others into godliness. God wants you to be a godly example. God wants you to be that man who reads his Bible so consistently that others are encouraged to be more faithful. God wants you to be that woman who prays so often that others recognize their need to pray. God wants you to be that family which exudes such godliness and peace and joy in your home that others look at you and say, I want my family to be like them. God wants you to have a passion that inspires others. God wants you to have uh, such an example of yieldedness in your lives, such a, a resignation to the will of God that others look at you and say, wow, I need to be like that. God wants you to be an example of giving sacrificially, lovingly, joyfully. Because your proper testimony has the power to encourage other believers. And as we live, what we need to know is whether or not we have a good testimony, our testimony has the power to shape others' lives. Your testimony can encourage the believer into obedience to be sure. 
But don't forget that your testimony can also embolden another believer unto sin. Our third point says, your testimony, for good or ill, has the power to shape the lives of other believers. Your comfort with sin may make others comfortable with sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit was pricking their heart about what they were watching on television or about what they were listening to over the radio or about the places they went or about the things that came out of their mouth. And then they looked at you and said, oh, he does it. He, we must be okay here. And it can hinder in their life what God was trying to do. Your willingness to compromise may encourage other believers to compromise. You've all seen the power of influence. My children are being shaped by my wife and I. My children's personalities, their quirks, their temperaments are all at least in part a reflection of my wife and I as parents. You've seen how your children have improved when they've made a good friend. You've seen how they've begun to act worse when they've had a bad friend. Perhaps some of us can attribute some of our best or worst choices we've ever made to the influence of persons who we knew and who we respected. I'm not telling you anything profound tonight that your testimony matters. That your testimony for good or for ill has the power to shape other people's lives, other people's decisions, other people's direction. The question is, are we willing to have the character necessary to make the lifestyle decisions not just on the basis of self, but on the basis of being a good testimony in the eyes of others? To help others make wise decisions through our wise decisions. Are we willing to set aside some things that maybe we would want in order that we can step up and be what we need to be to lead others into godliness? See, this is, the, this is next step Christianity, folks. This is where we start to get to the point where we're not just worried about our walk with the Lord, but we're worried about how our walk with the Lord touches other people's walks with the Lord. So we're willing to forego things that might be our freedom, forego things that might be our privilege, forego things that might be okay in our eyes in order that those who are around us can become more like Christ. Fourth and finally, Know that testimony spread in a way words cannot. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 and 2 tells us that a wife can win her husband to the truth without words through the power of her actions. Take a look at these verses. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not, our, not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation, old English word meaning actions, by the actions of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Wives, you don't have to nag and preach to your husband in order to change him on the authority of the Word of God. If a wife will live a proper example before her husband, it will preach more to him than a thousand words. So First Peter 3, 1 and 2 is saying, Paul exhorted servants to obey their masters in all things so that the name of Jesus Christ would not be blasphemed. 1 Peter 6, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Employee, do you want to honor the Lord before your boss? Obey Him. Your, your boss and you will honor the Lord. You will be a testimony to God. Not through words, through 
actions. Paul exhorted the young women to guard their actions for the same reason. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Excuse me. I, uh, I missed that one. Let's go straight to young. I, I think I must have overwritten, overwritten it on my slide. So how about the young men? The young men are exhorted in, this, in, a, in a similar way. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Why are those that are contrary to sound doctrine ashamed? Not because of what you've told them but because of how you've lived your life, young men. If you will live your life with maturity and gravity and sincerity, you will condemn their falsehoods simply by the way you live. If you go back a couple of verses, verses 4, 5, 3, 4, 5, you'll find the young ladies are exhorted in, in the same manner. And Jesus Himself taught in Luke 6, verse 31 through 36, He said this, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For if sinners also love those who love them, and if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend them to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Jesus Christ says you want to really reflect God to the world? Do it through your actions. Do it through how you handle your enemies. By being good to those that hate you. By loving those who curse you. You want to exhibit the gospel of Jesus Christ? Live the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the privilege of being a shining proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the teachings and expectations of Jesus Christ even apart from your words. The actions we take regardless of our ability to proclaim the truth is powerful. Now, this morning, I encouraged you to make this new year a new year of humility. Humility that will compel your love, that will compel your obedience. Now, tonight, let's add to that thought. Let's make this new year a new year of humility that will compel your love, that will compel your obedience, that will establish your godly testimony, that will glorify God in the eyes of all who see can we do that this evening? Can that be the determination of our heart that as we step into this new year, we are going to step into next level Christianity? That we're not just going to park on what can I do to please God, but we're going to park on what can I do to lead others into pleasing God. And by God's grace, that will make Legacy Baptist Church a light on a hill. A place for others to come and not just sit and stagnate, but a place where others will come and be compelled to grow into what Jesus Christ would have us to be. Let's pray together.